don't get too caught up in, in making a plan if that's not the kind of person that you are. But if you are uh, very meticulous and very planned, yeah, that can work too. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by Jay Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Loomi Tech and sponsored by Hippo Insurance, Turing, Upwest Labs, and Hillel at Stanford. Navigating through life's different decisions is very, very difficult. Welcome Ido Sarig, Chief Marketing Officer at Indigo.ai. Ido is a product marketing and corporate development executive and former VC. He was the general manager of the Internet of Things group at Wind River and the VP of product marketing for its testing business unit. Earlier, he was the CMO of BDNA and before that, a partner with Thomas Weasel Venture Partners, where he focused on enterprise software. He began his career with Mercury Interactive as a VP of product marketing and the VP of technology strategy. Ido Sarig, thank you for joining me on 20 Minute Leaders. How are you today? I'm doing great, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to have you all the way from Palo Alto right now. All the way from Palo Alto at the moment, although later in the year, hopefully uh, from the East Coast, where I'm going to be relocating to be a little bit closer to my daughters who are going to college on the East Coast. Wonderful. Uh, Ido, it's such a phenomenal career in so many different places, uh, primarily in the worlds of, of product marketing, corporate development, you know, transitioning through different types of companies in the tech sphere, most recently doubling down on, on AI companies. And uh, both early stage, you know, as board member and advisor, but also late stage with a VC uh, stint in the middle. So uh, a lot to be uh, discussed here. Uh, but what I really like to start with is a little bit about yourself. A little bit about you know the way you go through your career, uh, how you went through your career, and some of the insights that now in ref- in retrospective you're able to say, okay, now now I understand sort of the you know the, the big ideas of why I did what I did. All right, that's that's an excellent uh, starting point. I think you know if you wanted me to describe how I went about uh, my career, um, I think a not unfair characterization would be to call it haphazardous, um, in the okay. sense that. Um, it wasn't fully planned. Um, I think, broadly speaking, when I look at friends and colleagues in the industry, if I want to paint with very broad brushstrokes, there are two kinds of people. There are people who are very well um, organized, pre-planned. They knew already when they graduated high school exactly what they wanted to do, and they had they set a goal for themselves. And a typical goal mm-hmm. was... I'm going to start my own company where I'll be the CEO and, um, you know, ideally I'd I'd take it public or I'd sell it for a nice exit. But in order to get to that point, there are a number of milestones that I need to to accomplish. I need to maybe get a good technical education at a good school, and then I need to get a job in one of the high-tech companies. in an engineering role or some other technical role. And then I need to get an MBA from a good business school and then uh, branch out with my own company and so on and so forth. Um, I was never like that. Sounds like a great plan. (laughs) It sounds like a great plan. And I do know quite a few people who are able to follow that plan uh, to the T almost. Um, uh, Some of them came to me at certain points in my career to ask for advice about what's the next step. And honestly, I could only usually give them guidance about what is the next immediate step because I myself do not belong to that 
group of people. I was um, not quite so uh, well planned. The only thing I knew when I was going, when I went to high school, was that I liked computers and I thought I might want to do something related to computers. So when I finished my army service, um, I went to the Technion and uh, my initial thoughts were I was going to do uh, computer science. But um, macroeconomic factors at the time, this was uh, Israel was going through a, a very serious downturn in the software industry, impacted by the cancellation of the Levy project and so on. And there was um, uh, a lot of uncertainty about future job prospects for software engineers. So just in order wow. to... Yeah, it's hard to think. It's hard to imagine that today, right? But th those are the days. I was about to say that you know I'm going to university now, and it's you know it's all. It almost feels like you know when I even talk to middle schoolers, they already know exactly you know what they want to do with computers, and what world, and what industry, and what they and and what they want to study with that. And it's hard for me to imagine a world where you're saying you know I I want to be a software engineer, but I don't know if that's the best thing for me. I don't know if that's gonna get me a good job later on. Exactly. So just in order to increase my job prospects, I ended up, uh, the Technion had just recently opened uh, this joint uh, course project where you could get a degree in computer engineering that, uh, uh, you know, I got in through the uh, computer science, uh, the faculty of computer science, but it also required you to take a lot of more hardware courses in conjunction with the electrical engineering. And I thought, you know, that's just hedge our bets, have some uh, hardware component <laughs> in that. Um, but it was not done because I, I love hardware so much. Um, I still don't. Um, don't get me wrong. I think that it was a very valuable education. And I think it did give me um, a leg up on some uh, other people. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny little anecdote that relates to that in, in a moment. Um, but I, I didn't do it because I wanted to be involved uh, with hardware. I did it to increase job prospects. And as it turned out, by the time I graduated, things had turned around and there was plenty of software jobs in Israel, and I never looked back. Um, the, the funny anecdote is, I think a lot of people who uh, go through very uh, academic-focused computer science uh, curricula don't really get a firm grasp on what the computer is underneath. Mm. Um, we had, um, while I was working at Mercury, um, many, many years ago. Uh, we, we were developing a product called, uh, initially it was called, uh, the product I was working on was called XRunner, which was a functional regression testing tool uh, for the X window system. Most of your listeners probably have no idea what I'm talking about these days. I, the, I barely <laughs> have an idea what you're talking about. It was the precursor to very, uh, to modern uh, windowing systems like Windows, um, uh, but it was running on, on the Unix uh, uh, right. operating system. And we had just started uh, porting it, creating a version of it for Windows. Um, and we had developed uh, a product called WinRunner, which was the equivalent for the uh, Microsoft Windows system. And we were working on a product for uh, OS2. Yes, there was something like that those <laughs> way back then. Um, and also uh, for the Mac. And along comes a uh, recent college graduate who shall rename uh, nameless um, and was assigned, she was assigned to work on this uh, Mac Runner project. And a, a couple of weeks into her job, she comes and she talks to her manager and she says, you know, I really don't understand um, 
why we're putting all this work into this porting. Why can't we just take the code that is currently running on this PC and, you know, you take a copy it over and put it on the Mac and we'll run on the Mac, won't it? So it's a, just a fundamental un misunderstanding of the underlying computer architecture. And admittedly, this is a, an outlier case. I, I don't mean to disparage uh, computer science academics in, in any way. But, but I do think that the hardware, um, having this understanding of the hardware was very important. Um, is it as important today, do you think? to have that core, that foundational understanding, because I think that that speaks a lot to, you know, these growing trends saying, you know, maybe academia is not for everybody. Maybe you don't need to know the ins and outs and the zeros and ones. Maybe you're, you're, you're good enough to just know the really high level, uh, the high level standards uh, to be able to, to just, you know, code the regular things we see in our day to day. How, how relevant is that information do you think today? Okay, I think it's two, two separate questions. Really. One is uh, the relevance of academia and the second one is the hard question. The hardware question, I think it's still important, but it's less important. I think the industry has evolved to a point where there is a level of abstraction and a level of pre-built reusable components, especially if you're doing cloud development, um, that you could come up with a great idea and implement it using high-level structures without having to ever worry about the underlying infrastructure. So it's less important than it used to be. It's important for the people who build uh, this infrastructure, of course. But if you're talking about building uh, an application or cloud-based service, it's far less important. The academia question is, is interesting. Um, most of the people I've worked with in my career had, a for had formal academic training. They were right. CS or EE uh, graduates. Um, and I do think there is uh, a lot to be said for having formal uh, training in academic disciplines. I see that especially um, as my daughters go to school uh, now in the U.S., they, they are not directly following in their father's footsteps, I'll say. Um, they both uh, are pursuing uh, an undergraduate degree in a liberal arts college. And when I went on uh, college tours with them, uh, part of joining, um, honestly, those, uh, the, the tours rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, but really? yeah, they did um, for several reasons. Um, one is, broadly speaking, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Uh, and so after the, the fifth one, Added up to here, uh, with, uh, because they're all saying the same things, right? Um, and this is true not just for liberal arts colleges; it's true across the board. Um, whether you go to a large public research university or a small liberal arts college, I, I can give you the tour for uh, a generic college right now. You can, uh, if you come here and here only, you can uh, design your own <laughs> design your own major. If we don't have one for you, you we have. 2,000 different clubs, and if there's one that you uh, don't like, you can create your own. We do study abroad. It's a, they're all exactly the same. But right. um, having said that, um, I do think that they have one thing right, which is they, if they do their job properly, they give the kids a good tool set with which they could do um, anything. So in my current role right now, I'm looking to hire a... Uh, an intern for a research project, which, which has to do with uh, looking at a company's um, 
mission statements and purpose statements and so on and analyzing them in different ways. And I'm about to hire a uh, liberal arts uh, college student who is studying um, German studies. It has absolutely nothing to do with uh, technology or computer, but impressed me in terms of her, the skills that she uh, picked up uh, at this very good school that she's going to. Um, and it really doesn't matter. So there is a strong current right now um, driven by people like Peter Thiel and others that says you, you don't need to get a college degree. Come here, I'll give you $100,000 to work on your idea. And I think that could work. But I think the people that are coming out of academia uh, tend to be more rounded. And yes, well, you could certainly learn how to program in Python uh, very easily online and for free doing a Coursera course. And if you've got a natural inclination or talent for that, that sort of thing, you could become a very good programmer. But I don't think becoming a very good entrepreneur is synonymous with being a very good programmer. Right. Or I think even engineer, right? I mean, what, it, what encapsulates engineering, it's, it's, much, it's, it's much more beyond just this idea of you know, learning how to code. It's about problem solving and it's about being exposed to all these different problem sets. And I think I have to admit that before I went to go and begin my studies at my institution, I was very skeptical of whether it makes sense for me to even go study. You know, I served for five years in the IDF and the cybersecurity unit, which in itself is considered a university to many. And mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, now, after almost two years in my institution, I just realized how, how amazing it is and how, op how mind-opening it is to be exposed to just these different problems, even if they don't, are not necessarily relevant to my later day-to-day -day life. Just being exposed to them and allowing myself to immerse in them and to think critically about how I would go about solving them, I think it really trains me into bringing that open mind to the N plus one problem that, that inevitably we'll solve as engineers and entrepreneurs later on. Ido, I'd love to hear also a little bit about, you know, your take as, as you go through these organizations, making an impact, whether it's through product marketing or, or, or corporate development. Tell me a little bit about it. What, what drives you in these companies? When you enter a new company or in an existing company, how do you actually see your scope of work? And how do you, you know, measure your own, you know, productivity or your own, you know, milestones, making sure that you're doing the best that you can do? It's hmm, an excellent question. Um, I'll, I'll tackle the last question first. I'm a very um, results-oriented person, and ultimately the way I measure my impact or my team's impact is against uh, pre-established goals. What did we say we, mm -hmm. we were going to do, and to what degree did we meet them, and to what degree did we meet them on time? Um, th that is primary. I think that's different, though, from the question you initially thought, which is when you go into a, a company, what, uh, what excites you or what uh, what makes you uh, want to devote yourself to that. And that, first and foremost, I think is about the people there. I'm less enamored with uh, specific technologies and more so with the team that I'll be working with. I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on what is probably not a very big secret. Um, when I, my second job out of college was with, uh, was with Mercury, uh, Mercury Interactive. Mercury Interactive was in the field of uh, automated software testing. Um, when I joined, I, I struggled to find something that I thought would, would be more boring than software testing. In my mind, um, testing as a discipline, you know, it was where the uh, programmers who couldn't hack it as, as developers would go. They'd go and 
test other people's work. Um, and we're going to develop software that will help them do their testing job better. No big deal. Um, but it actually was it was a tremendous journey. First and foremost, because the company was was amazing, but also the people that I worked with. Um, I have since then uh, never had in one place such a collection of, of great people. Uh, I've worked with individuals who were in other places who were just as as good. But as a company, I I, I haven't seen a pair. Um, so going back to the last part, uh, it's a it's a uh, question of how well you do against objectives. Um, I think that's actually what attracted me to the company where I'm currently at, or just recently started working uh, for uh, Indigo, which uh, its uh, mission, its purpose in life is to help organizations turn their strategy into focused uh, execution. What, uh, What it attempts to solve using AI and software as a service delivery model is this common problem that we all I'm sure of experience at one point or another in our careers, which is companies struggle to put strategy into practice. And mm. it's the, the more mature the company is, the bigger it is, the longer it's been around, the harder it is to innovate and come up with new things. And so what companies do is they go on these um, management retreats or offsite where all the senior leaders of the company come together and decide, here are the three most important things we need to do uh, in order to uh, beat the competition or just to survive and thrive. And while you're at the retreat, everybody is fully on board and there's clear understanding across all the teams of what needs to be done. And then you go back to the office and within two to three weeks, it's all dissipated away because you got distracted by day-to-day tasks and putting out fires and so on. And um, we want to solve that problem. Um, and actually hold you in certain ways accountable to uh, here's what you said was important to you. Are you actually working on those important things? And what is the impact that those things made to your uh, organization's goals? I, th- I think that's, that's amazing. I'm now looking sort of at the young entrepreneur sphere, whether it's an engineer coming out of, an, of a university or out of the IDF or somebody who's creating their own company, what are some things that you can think of from your you know, years of experience that you would say, you know, I think both, you know, on an emotional level on, on you know, what what should be the next step? So you're mentioning that, you know, your your journey was almost haphazardous, but, but at the same time, I believe that now that as reflecting back, I think there's a clear reason as to every decision. But what, what would be, you know, some of the things that we should be keeping in mind as young entrepreneurs and engineers? Uh, do we follow our, our gut? Do we follow our emotions? Do we follow our intellectual curiosity? Um, do we follow the, just the, the, the right people? Uh, is there even a way to know? Or is it all just, you know, a big balagan that every person has to sort of guess at the end? My, my biggest takeaway, um, reflecting on my career, is that there is no right answer. There's no one formula that says, do this uh, and this will work. For some people, Having a, a clear plan and executing it every step of the way is the way to go. For other people, um, doing it, doing things more haphazardously and just making the right decision at each point in time works equally well. That's certainly the way I've handled it. So uh, my advice would be don't get too caught up in, in making a plan if that's not the kind of person that you are. But if you are uh, very meticulous and very planned, yeah, that can work too. Um, get Regardless of which uh, approach you take, um, I think it's helpful to get an outsider's view, uh, some 
go through a, a formal process of mentorship and getting people who would regularly coach them. That's certainly a way to go. Others have a few trusted advisors that they would go to in uh, certain points of time when there is a critical decision to be made just to get an outsider's opinion or a second pair of eyes. That works well, too. I want to touch on what you said about following your passion. Um, I, uh, I'm ambivalent about that. Uh, on the one hand, yes, you, you don't want to be in a position where you are working at a job that you hate that you uh, dread Mondays to the extent where Sundays afternoons are already uh, overshadowed by these dark clouds on the horizons because you know that you're going to start work in a few hours and you hate your job. You, you certainly don't want to be there. But I also think that at the same time, I think the advice of just follow your passion um, is not one that I, I give my my kids. I think that could, um, because we live in a real world where uh, you need to get a job that supports you and supports your family. And um, while money can't buy happiness, it certainly makes uh, life's journey much easier. And if you don't have money and if you're struggling to make ends meet, then even if it's the job is, is your passion. You're not going to be happy. So you need to find some some sort of a, a happy medium between these. And uh, I'm certainly not a pro proponent of follow your passion no matter what. I mean, if your if your you passion don't. is yeah, if your passion is 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 um, reading philosophy books, that, that I, I think uh, making a living as a philosopher is, is tough. Is not not something I would recommend. Not I love the idea of balance. <laughs> I think that what I've noticed and what's been bothering me about this question as well as, you know, the, the taking, choosing like a zero sum approach, right? You either follow your passion or, or you don't. But, and that's not the case. And I think what you're referring here is a balance. There needs to be a good balance, both being very intentional and meticulous about following things that are interesting to you. At the same time, being, having this realism, right? And understanding that, you know, it, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not just if you follow your diehard passion, that's, you know, you have to still, it's not going to be a passion for a long time if it doesn't help you, you know, survive and, and be successful in life. So, so there needs to be some balance. And, uh, and I think that I get inspired, you know, while reading your fun fact that, you know, your it sounds like one of your passions is cycling, right? And uh, you don't have, you don't have to have a pr profession in cycling or do that, you know, in your, you know, nine to five, nine to seven, nine to midnight job. But uh, but you can still do that uh, intensive, uh, quite intensively, and, and it's fantastic. You know, I really want to thank you for coming here. 20 minutes go by way, way too fast. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, I have the most important question that's still ahead of us, which is three words that you would use to describe yourself. Um, I'm a realist. I call it as I see it. I love it. I'm a realist. I love it. Ido, Todaraba, thank you very, very much. And stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you very much, and same to you. Stay safe out there. Hopefully this will be behind us soon.